uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. And now, here's a special word from Quake and Quisp. I've got, got a special, special offer. offer. I've I got, got a... a... What are, are you, a wise guy? guy? Uh, both our heroes are trying to tell you that now in boxes of Quisp and Quake cereal, you'll find eight great plastic fun rings. There's a ring with Quisp on it. And one with Quake. There's a secret compartment signet ring from Quake. A space gun from Quisp that really shoots. Yes, there are rings with whistles on them. Hey, this one has impactite with real meteorite pieces from outer space. And this one has a lava chunk from a real center of the Earth volcano. Eight different rings. One in each box of Quisp or Quake. Try to get them all. And, oh yes, uh, the folks at Quaker have asked me to tell you that these boxes also contain some of the best-tasting cereal you've ever eaten. You mean Quisp? Or Quake. Uh, <laughs> I sure do. Remember what Saturday mornings used to be? Now the classic cartoons of Saturday's past are together again. Why aren't you in school? Because it's Saturday. Saturday? Saturday morning cartoons. It'll be good, you know. Turn on Saturday morning cartoons. What channel? Why groovy. <laughs> Every weekend began with heroes. Calling Space Ghost. Space Ghost here. Get set for action. Villains. Greetings, Bat Rain and Boy Blunder. <laughs> and timeless, memorable cartoons characters. Hey! More, more, more! Incredible! Take an unforgettable trip. Ariba Danchi. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And welcome back to Planet 8. As a matter of fact, you're fortunate in that it's Saturday morning on Planet 8. We're going to be discussing our favorite cartoons from years gone by. Uh, before we get into that, we're going to also share with you our favorite cereal. It's tradition to be in your pajamas in front of the TV set and enjoy a bowl of cereal. Straight away, let's go over to Chief Bob. Why don't you share with us, Bob, what was your Saturday morning ritual? Well, Saturday morning ritual was, of course, to get up, get in the other room, sit in front of the TV with my bowl of Quisp cereal, and uh, watch my favorite cartoons, basically from beginning to end of the morning. I mean, no one ever left their house, man. All the kids were like in their houses watching their cartoons until the bitter end when it was like time to go out and play. <laughs> but no, Quisp was definitely the cereal of choice, even though it like rips the heck out of your uh, roof of your mouth. But uh, back then, yeah, it was Quisp and Quake and they had all the commercials where they would fight over, you know, whose cereal you should get. And for right. whatever reason, I guess because he was this alien sci-fi type character, I leaned more towards uh, Quisp because, you know, he was like the Martian kind of character. 
Whereas Quake, Quake was the big old muscular miner, and I guess I didn't really uh, identify with him too much. <laughs> but those, you know, speaking of cartoons, those those commercials were done by Jay Ward. That, oh, really? Uh, yeah, Jay Ward did uh, the Quisp and Quake commercials. They did the uh, Captain Crunch commercials, and huh. then, of huh. course, they also did George of the Jungle and Super Chicken. Rocky. And, what's that? Yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky. Right? Yeah, Rocky Bull. Main, main yeah. uh, claim to fame. Yep, yep. But uh, anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, so oh. Quisp, Quisp cereal. And uh, Karen, up in the satellite. Well, it would probably be something chocolate. So I would, uh, I would probably uh, grab my uh, little plastic uh, bowl. It would be either Planet of the Apes bowl <laughs> or uh i think the other bowl was flintstones but i i really preferred the planet of the apes bowl and uh fill it up with either uh it could be cocoa krispies cocoa krispies was good but i'd probably rather have cocoa puffs or cocoa pebbles cocoa pebbles uh seem to produce more chocolate milk and mm. a and a really nice kind of sludge uh that was ple- <laughs> pleasing pleasing to the mouth um so uh, those were my my cereals of choice. And the problem, though, for, for several years uh, was getting control of the TV because my older brother, Steve, if you're listening, Steve, don't take this personally, but um, Steve had control of the TV in the mornings and there were certain shows that he preferred to watch and, and shows that I wanted to watch like Lancelot Link, Secret Chip, and I couldn't watch them because he didn't want to watch them. So sometimes it was an exercise in frustration being the younger child. But, uh, uh, the evolution revolution. Yes. That, that, that band, that band was fantastic. They, all these little chimps playing musical instruments. How could you not want to watch that? I don't understand to this day. So, yes, I would at least have my cereal, if not be able to watch the show I wanted to watch. Uh, oh, well, uh, at well, least it softened the blow. Well, what, yes. kind of, what kind of shows did he want to watch? Oh, gosh, I, I don't even remember all the shows he wanted to watch. But, uh, you know, the fact that he was six years older meant that it, it, this only happened for a short, you know, window of time because then he got bored and he wanted to go out and do other things. And so there was maybe a, a four or five year window and then it was I was free and I could control the TV. So. <laughs> well, I was a uh, fan of the toys that would come in the cereal. So I wasn't really... Um, devoted to one particular brand or flavor um you know if it was a mm. little squirt gun or a little uh you know uh, communicator ring or whatever i'd, I'd get that and then my mother would get frustrated because i wouldn't eat the cereal because i think <laughs> way it tasted we had boxes of cereal sitting on the fridge but well, I, I you know do it's, remember- it's funny because i notice now when there's things in cereal boxes they're like in between the wax paper and the and the box Yes. Whereas before it was in the cereal and it was always at the bottom. So yeah, you were either exactly. like digging your hand mm-hmm. all the way down there or you were pour- pouring all this cereal out into a huge salad bowl or something, trying yep. to get that, trying to get that toy. Exactly. Well, it, I was kind of like Karen. I enjoyed the sludgy goodness of uh, Fruity Pebbles, 
wasn't a Cocoa Pebbles. Uh, mm. And although I did like that Cocoa Pebbles would give you chocolate milk. So that was the bonus. You got cereal and chocolate milk. Well, don't, um, don't underestimate the sugary milk that uh, Quisp would leave behind. Oh, my friend, I, I will not. <laughs> well, all those cereals back then had a lot more sugar. So I'm sure we were all kind of, you know, oh, running yeah. around on a, a sugar buzz for, for the entire day. <laughs> sugar, if not some crack cocaine. I don't know. But yeah, that, we, we'd go out and play for hours after that uh, bowl of cereal. Well, hey, you know what? Uh, thank you guys for sharing uh, your favorite cereals. Let's get into what the episode's about. Animation, cartoons. Uh, let's start off with Chief Engineer Bob. What's your pick for today's uh, podcast, my friend? Oh, God, it's an animation celebration. <laughs> um, you know, I, to this day, I still live for cartoons. So narrowing it all the way down to one is really tough. I yeah. mean, grow, growing up, it was anything from Looney Tunes to Milton the Monster to, uh, you know, all the Hanna-Barbera, Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, Snagglepuss and all that. Um, it was also just weird things, too, like Batfink and, uh, you know, the Mighty Heroes. You guys remember the Mighty Heroes? Yeah. Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely? was like yeah. Strong Man, Diaper Man, strong, uh, Rope Man, Cuckoo Man. Call goes out for the mighty heroes, but no, I. Uh, that was actually Ralph Bakshi. That was like a very early Ralph Bakshi cartoon, but uh, that's not the one I picked, though. Um, yeah, and then of course, if people who've been listening to the show know that I'm into all the Japanese stuff, so of course I was watching Astro Boy and Gigantor and Speed Racer and and all that. In fact, Speed Racer was a very very close second to my choice uh, for this episode, but. Uh, as far as the best cartoon growing up watching, and I still watch it today because I just bought the the new Blu-ray set not too long ago, had to be Johnny Quest. Mm. And uh, Johnny Quest was just, to a kid, you know, I mean, I think I was like, you know, very, very young when it started, but of course it showed in syndication and everything else for quite a while. Um, just to, to be a kid, it was like you, you wanted to be Johnny Quest. I mean, he was the cool kid that got to go on all the adventures and, uh, it was just an amazing show. And I did a little, I did a little research and, uh, it was on ABC and it was actually in prime time. It wasn't Saturday morning to begin with. It was 7.30 PM on Friday nights. And uh, that was following Hanna-Barbera, who did the, show, the series, had three other shows on prime time before that. You guys want to take a guess on what those three were? I, th I think one of them was the Flintstones. Flintstones, yep. Which, of course, That's means okay. the other one would be... Jetsons. Jetsons. The third mm. one's a tougher pick. I, it even surprised me. But then I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember that being on at night. And that's Top Cat. Yeah. Ah, I did um, not know that. Yeah. So, really? Uh, yeah. So they had done Flintstones, Jetsons, and Top Cat. And then they decided to go a completely different route and do an actual adventure show. And so they hired Doug Wildy, 
who uh, basically was a comic strip artist. And mm-hmm. so Johnny Quest, suddenly you don't have the big feet, big mouths like Fred and, and uh, George Jetson. Suddenly you had characters that looked, you know, like comic strip characters come to life. And uh, it started on September 18th, 1964, which means it's the 55th anniversary shortly after this episode comes out. Um, oh, wow. And it went to March 11th of 1965. It only lasted one season, 26 episodes, because it was the most expensive half hour of TV at the time. It cost them wow. $65,000 per episode to make Johnny Holy Quest. Holy And uh, if you really, you know, if you watch Johnny Quest, the amazing thing is, you know, compared to other animation at the time, it was very detailed and it was very, you know, shadows and a lot of blacks. Um, I was watching one of the uh, extras on the Blu-ray and uh, a couple of Brad Bird was talking about it and a few others about the use of black. You know, Johnny's shirt was black, but also a lot of the backgrounds and things were black and a lot of animators avoided black back then but they used it to make things like really stark and dynamic and i don't think they really did much of that until the animated batman series you know um, that came out and that was that used a lot of blacks but um hanna-barbera originally wanted to do a cartoon based on a radio show slash comic strip called jack armstrong all-american boy and uh, they had even done a test film uh, on it just to try to interest networks and uh, not much remains of it. However, if you watch the end credits of Johnny quest, the very beginning of the end credits has scenes from that pilot film, Jack Armstrong. So oh. the very first hmm. scenes you see in the end credits are not Johnny quest. They're actually Jack Armstrong. But anyway, they decided to uh, go original, do original characters that they can, you know, obviously they can control. So uh, they sent Doug Wildy back home. And then one evening he came up with Johnny Quest and all the characters. He got the name actually out of the phone book at, at random. He just looked <laughs> through the phone book and he said, oh, Quest, that, that sounds adventurous. So let's use that. And so, uh, so Johnny Quest was born and uh, he basically designed the characters one evening, influenced he said, by Jackie Cooper and Frank Darrow films, the comic strip Terry and the Pirates, and under the direction of Hanna-Barbera, Dr. No. So that was actually the only Bond film that was released to that point. So, uh, but it was a huge hit. So, you know, they wanted to add some of that espionage and things. And I think that's probably also where the evil Dr. Zinn came from. He was sort of Mm. their version of, uh, of Dr. No. Yeah, the uh, show lasted, like I say, for like one year because it was so expensive to make. and uh, But it was a very uh, ratings hit, critical hit. All the critics loved it. Um, so it did thrive in syndication for a long, long time. But uh, yeah, I was going to talk a little bit <clears throat> about the voice actors in the show. Uh, which, hey, Bob, real quick. How yeah. many episodes was that season? 20, you know? 26. And was it like an hour long show or a half hour? Half hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I could see it like so being $65,000 for, like... for a half hour show. Uh-huh. So, That's a big deal. 
It had a really cool theme song too, as I remember. Oh yeah. Hoyt Curtin did the music. Hoyt Curtin did the music for most all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons back then. And Hmm. uh, he had a definite, definite style. He also did the like extra music for like Battle of the Planets long after. But uh, interesting. But yeah, so uh, yeah, he did a great, yeah, great theme song, and then all the uh, the music throughout the episodes were was very cool. Um, mm. But the uh, but yeah, voice actor wise, Doctor Quest, who was the uh, the patriarch of the family, was voiced by Don Messick, and Don Messick also did, and this is pretty wide range here. He did Bam Bam from the Flintstones. He did, hmm. he did Astro from the Jetsons. He did both Boo Boo and Ranger Smith from Yogi Bear. He was Papa Smurf, and he also did the voice of Scooby-Doo. Oh, wow. That is a wide range. So, <laughs> uh, Race Bannon was uh, Mike Rode, who was a movie actor in the 40s and a TV actor, sort of like guest star roles throughout the 50s and early 60s. But he would go on to be Xandor of the Herculoids. Herculoids, yeah. yeah. Herculoids, he was Xandor. Um, Ugg the Caveman from Dino Boy. And he was he also voiced Reed Richards from the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic Four cartoon. That one uh, I can see. So, I mean, he had a pretty distinctive voice. And he didn't, re- unlike Don Messick, who did different voices, he was always the voice of Mike Rode. So you could always recognize his voice when he'd pop up in different things. Um, mm. Haji, who was the uh, adopted Indian son slash uh, brother to Johnny Quest, uh, he was played by a child actor named Danny Bravo, and uh, he had played it. Wow. He had played an Indian boy previously in For the Love of Mike, a movie back in 1960, and he had a real bit part uh, in The Magnificent Seven. But Tim Matheson, though, who did the voice of Johnny Quest, he went on to actual acting roles. Uh, he was the character Otter in Animal, yes. in Animal House. Holy crap. Yeah. That was Johnny Quest, Otter? Yeah. Johnny Quest. Yeah. Also, he was Vice President Haynes in the West Wing. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Mm-hmm. They had the uh, that character Old Man Vreek. Yeah, that was Johnny Quest. That was Tim Matheson. Wow. So he went on to do other things. Uh, there were a couple minor actors that I want to bring up too. Uh, one, of course, is Vin Perrin. Uh, he played Doctor mm. Zinn, and he was also the control voice from The Outer Limits. Huh. And then uh, near and dear to my heart. And I try to work this into anything I talk about, but Nestor Paiva, oh, who played Lucas, friend. played Lucas, the boat captain in Creature from the Black Lagoon and Revenge of the Creature. Uh, he did various voices in like two or three episodes of Johnny Quest. So, Good for him. Uh, yeah. So Lucas, back again. Well- Man, they had a lot of talent on that show with regards to the voice actors. Well, they did. And, you know, a lot of the the writing was excellent. I mean, if you think about it, um, I mean, look at this show. I mean, as a kid, you know, you had lizard men and you had robot spies, you know, robot spiders. You had uh, giant condors. You had a pterodactyl huh. and a 
you know, basically in a dog fight with biplanes, uh, dragons of Ashida. You had the big guy walking the two dragons through the jungle, trying to catch people. You had, um, werewolves. You had yetis, <laughs> the invisible monster where they had to, uh, and the, the cool thing about the, the invisible monster episode was they also had the jetpacks. So, you know, here, the, here's this monster that keeps, you know, attacking these villages and they're in the jungle. They had to find this thing. All they could see was its footprints. It was like an energy monster. They would make these huh. footprints, but you know, they couldn't see him to, you know, attack him or anything. So Johnny comes up with the idea. Why don't we paint him? So they get like bags of paint and they fly over with these jetpacks and drop the paint on the creature. And it basically paints him and then they can see him and, and take care of him from that. Um, there's an excellent episode, House of the Seven Gargoyles, hmm. where they have uh, this one uh, doctor who created like this anti-gravity machine. And uh, they basically had dressed a guy up as a gargoyle and he was trying to go down and steal the plans and all that. Um, and it's just, you know, very, again, atmospheric uh, type of episode. So, yeah, I mean, for... a a kid in his wild imagination. Uh, it was amazing. And then, you know, back then that was before, well, A, it was prime time and B, it was before the PTA came in and just totally screwed up uh, cartoons for life. But, um, you know, I mean, people would get shot, they'd get blown up, you know, they'd fall, you know, off cliffs and die. You know, it's, it's not like, yeah, all the oh, things we like. yeah, well, it's not like, yeah. oh, he got taken <laughs> to the hospital. He's OK now. You know, it's like, no, they had actual consequences to things that happen. You know, um, in fact, there was the one uh, monster in the monastery where uh, it was basically these guys uh, dressed up as yetis trying to scare this village and uh at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, I'll spoil one episode, uh, you know, Dr. Quest and Race and Johnny and Haji go to the monastery and all these uh, guys dressed up in Yeti suits are all dead, laying all over the ground. And it's like, it turns out like the real Yeti came in and just slaughtered them all. So, oh. you know, it's like, hey, it wasn't dumbed down. It wasn't sanitized, you know, for little kids. It was, uh, you know, an actual uh, adventure show from beginning to end. And uh, and again, you know, you mentioned the, the music. I mean, if you look at the beginning credits, it's like, you know, it starts out with the drums and then, you know, the, the music comes in and you see Turu the Terrible, the big pterodactyl come flying over and screech into the into the camera and then, you know, you see a guy with a machine gun shooting at the robot spy, the giant spider, and uh, it blows up and you see the mummy come through and crash through the, the wall. Snakes, yeah, you know, it's just all these things happening. Boom, boom, rapid fire all at once. And it gets you all jazzed up before the actual episode even begins. Well, that so, and the bowl of cereal, I could see it like bouncing off the walls. At yeah, that point. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Quisp and Johnny Quest is like, yeah, that was paradise when you were a kid. Well, it sounds very, very cool. But yeah, I mean, it uh, it did go on for, you know, in syndication for years. They did another, uh, like the new adventures of Johnny Quest in the 80s. They did a couple movies, got animated films. Um, but I think they're working on a live action movie now, but, you know, they're, oh, they're no. doing that with every oh. cartoon that ever existed anyway. 
That would be great if they get floundered to play an adult Johnny Quest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, as a comic co, had some comic books that were actually really good on Johnny Quest. In fact, Doug Wildey actually uh, illustrated some of those. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's where the DVD set came out a while back. And it was slightly edited for content which is kind of going against everything I just said about Johnny Quest. Um, but the Blu-ray set just came out like a few months ago and uh, totally uncut. Everything's in there. Um, there's one episode with a Poho tribe of Indians where uh, Ray Spannon basically dyes his skin purple and uh, appears as their, their water god, Akizio. And uh, just to, you know, scare them all because he's trying to rescue Dr. Quest, who they had captured. And he comes out of the water. Of course, they can't, you know, they speak Poho or whatever. They can't understand what the heck he's saying. But, uh, yeah, he just, like, comes up and starts saying, you know, he's like, you know, feast your eyes on Akizio, you heathen monkeys and all this. And they basically cut the heathen monkeys line out. Probably a good idea. <laughs> But, uh, I think they used that line in an episode of uh, Scooby Doo once. Probably. Anna <laughs> Barbera, you know. But uh, yeah, never throw away a good line. Yeah. So, so if if uh, if our listeners are gonna choose between the Blu-ray or the DVD set, you recommend the Blu-ray because it's un, uncut and uncensored. Oh, Blu-ray, most definitely, because it's uncut, uncensored, and it just looks beautiful. I mean. They went mm. back to the original negatives and, and struck all new prints and everything. And yeah, it just looks amazing. So the DVD and Blu-ray sets are like night and day. Uh, mm. Definitely, mm. definitely get to the know. Blu-ray. Cool. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us, Chief. Let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen, what is your pick? Well, my pick is not something I watched as a child. So I'm breaking a little from the rules, but I, I don't care because this is a very high quality show mm-hmm. that I've selected. So my selection is the Justice League animated series. Mm, good uh, one. This uh, was a, a Warner Brothers animation production and was on Cartoon Network originally. Um, so uh, was came out in 2001 and basically ran as Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. Uh, till 2005. So there were about five seasons. Uh, the first couple of seasons was as Justice League. And so uh, during those first couple of seasons, you, you may recall that um, it was focused primarily on what they called the original seven Justice Leaguers. Now, of course, there's been a lot of variations of the Justice League in the comics. Um, but for the, uh, the series, they settled on Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, um, the John Stewart Green Lantern, the Wally Wood version of The Flash, Martian Manhunter, and Hawkgirl. So the first two seasons, we, we had those characters. And those first two seasons, it was kind of interesting because, um, so they did 26 episodes per season. And for the most part, um, all the stories were two-parters. So they'd do a half-hour episode uh, to do part one and then a half-hour episode to do part two and finish it up. Um, when they went into the third season, they changed to Justice League Unlimited and they added a ton of other superheroes. So pretty much any 
DC character you could think of wound up joining the Justice League at some point. And uh, they they kind of broke their their old format and they didn't focus as much on the original seven. They might have one of those characters in an episode and then bring in other characters like Green Arrow or Black Canary, Captain Marvel. By that, I mean the Shazam Captain Marvel and mm-hmm. uh, characters like that. And those episodes were more standalone in that they would tell a story in a single episode, but they had... Um, over the three seasons that they were Justice League Unlimited, they had story arcs. Like in season two, um, Lex Luthor ran for president. So that was a big story arc that went across all of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was uh, this was in the same universe as, I know we, we mentioned Batman before. So this was in the same universe as the Batman animated series and the Superman adventures. Um, and it had uh, was put together by Bruce Timm. So it had that, Bruce Tim design, which is unmistakable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think it gave me a greater appreciation for DC. Growing up a Marvel kid, I I did, you know, occasionally purchase DC books. I was a big Legion of Superheroes fan, but not as much Justice League, I, although I would read them occasionally. Um, but this is where I really gained uh, an appreciation for Justice League and I guess probably forms my ideas about Justice League more than anything else. And uh, just high quality stories, um, you know, the the animation style is so smooth and and uh, streamlined, really nice to look at. And of course, great voice acting. So like, you know, it, just like Bob mentioned with, with Johnny Quest, you had some really good voice actors. Of course, I don't think anybody beats Kevin Conroy as Batman. Right, right. I agree. I mean, that guy to this day, that version of Batman is my favorite uh, media version. You know, I don't care, live action, whatever. Yeah. I just, I just think the way they portrayed Batman and the way he voiced Batman, it's perfect. It's just right. exactly how I would imagine Batman. Well, I had, and, read, I had read somewhere that he's going to be like another dimension, like an older Batman in the big uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, Arrowverse crossover thing. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, that should be really exciting to see. He finally gets to be a live-action Batman, so that should be cool. Burt Ward's going to be Robin. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that should be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be very interesting. He's going to be a round Robin. He's going to be a round. Well, Linda Carter's coming back as uh, Wonder Woman. No. Yeah. Are you serious? Whereas in the Everybody's Supergirl, I think she's like she the, was president, the president. Right, she, well, yeah, she was an alien president. Yeah. yeah, yeah right, she was right, president right. for a while. But yeah, I guess I think she's coming back as like, because there are all these infinite worlds or whatever. So, right. you know. They're wow. All well, it's there. it's Arrow's last season, right? So they're, yes. they're going out with a bang, I guess. Right. Yeah. But yeah, Justice, so Justice League, I, I, I think... Um, you know, they had a lot of people on the show who were real comics fans, and they they brought in um, they adapted a lot of stories from comics too. Um, I think one of the best ones was uh, when they adapted an Alan Moore story called um, "For the Man Who Has Everything," uh, which is basically a situation where uh, Superman got kind of trapped in his own mind in a in a thinking he was living on Krypton and. And then Batman and Wonder Woman had to come in and save him. It was a really nice story um, that 
illustrated the relationships between those three characters. And uh, they just did everything. I mean, they weren't afraid to embrace the whole DC mythos and history and bring in, you know, really obscure characters. They had one episode with um, the Warlord. I don't know if you guys ever read Mike Grell's Warlord series, which was sort of an homage to all those like center of the earth type stories. Yeah, I've seen the artwork, but I've never read any of... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so everything from uh, doing typical uh, stories with in the Injustice Gang or Luthor or, you know, they brought in Darkseid. They had stories on Apocalypse. Yes. Um, they went into the future and met the Legion of Superheroes. Um, so they just brought in everything. It was like everything you could want, and it was so well done, and they really explored the relationships with the characters and they did new things like they had hawk girl and uh john stewart uh become romantically involved which wasn't something in the comics so you know it gave you a new angle that you hadn't seen before it was nice that they could do stuff like that so that you weren't watching something that you already know is going to happen you know or not necessarily i mean that was something like you said new so that was kind of refreshing Right. It wasn't, you weren't just being told the same story. You didn't sit there and anticipate exactly what was going to happen. Um, you know, it was a nice mix of, of the familiar and, and brand new. And I, I felt they really ca uh, captured the relationship between Wonder Woman and Batman. There was a very deep respect between those two characters. I remember uh, one story in the comics where Diana uh, is blinded. And, and she can't see, and so she's, she has a bandana wrapped around her eyes. Uh, but um, she's like, I can still be in the Justice League. I'm paraphrasing the story. And she's like, come on, come on, attack me. And, and you know, all the heroes are like, eh, I don't know. But Batman went at it like tooth and nail. And, and she was able to hold him off. And she's like, thank you, Bruce. I knew I could count on you, you know, basically to try mm -hmm. and kill me because – you know, any foe out there is not going to hold back. They're not my friends. And yeah. I, I felt that carried through into the animated series rather well without telling that story. Right. There was a mutual respect, especially between the, the big three. And it was kind of interesting because they hinted at maybe some romance between uh, Wonder Woman and Batman. But it was really a reluctance on his part to mm -hmm. um, to get involved with her. Uh, which was kind of interesting because I think people always tend to try to uh, put Superman and Wonder Woman together, but the idea of Batman and Wonder Woman was kind of intriguing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what what years did the the series actually take take place? No, it, it was two thousand one to two thousand five. Oh, okay. And there, and there were ninety one episodes in total, um, and they did do a little bit of crossover with. Uh, some of the existing shows like Batman Beyond and Static Shock, there was a, some interesting episodes where they went to the future. So they went to the Batman Beyond future. So they did tie all of these different WB uh, DC shows together um, in the sense that, you know, showing there was some connectedness That's cool. um, between them. Yeah. And I, I just think it was a great, it was probably as far as I'm concerned, probably the best superhero animated series out there even though i really liked the um marvels the uh avengers earth's mightiest heroes not the second series they put on which was crap um <laughs> yeah. but but the first avengers series they did was actually pretty good but i i think this is just 
you know, a touch above of that and, uh, you know, quality all the way around from the voice talent. I mean, in the villains, they had really great voice talent for the villains. You had Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Uh, just such a great, great voice. Um, the, the way he was able to emote, he would be like really calm and then lose it. And it was just great. Michael Ironside is dark side. Um, Powers Booth is Gorilla Grodd. So they got these really, you know, pretty well-known actors. I mean, some of these guys are better known as character actors, but you would recognize them, uh, you know, pretty readily. And uh, they brought a lot to their roles. You know, they're not, they're not just like, you know, phoning it in. They're really emoting and, and uh, acting in these roles. And I think that was a huge strength to the series. Yeah, it's a great series. It still holds up today. Um, I'm a big fan as well. There was this poster at the comic shop um, of, of the seven heroes, and I still have that hanging up in my office. Well, you know, in that opening, too, where they they show them walking out, and that's the only thing that's really uh, – the animation in that is, is somewhat computerized. They did like a sort of a 3D-ish kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the theme song is great. Uh, you know, that, dun, 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 but I love that it's, it is really great. But the interesting thing is if you go online and do a little looking around, um, there's a lot of comparisons of that theme song to the, the opening or the theme song to an old hammer film called twins of evil. And you can find side by side comparisons and they are very, very similar. So <laughs> if if anybody's interested, just just Google like Twins of Evil Justice League and you'll find some some videos out there um, and listen to those. And, and you might be surprised how similar Twins of Evil sounds to Justice League. You know, and I must say, I was talking with Karen about this uh, before we started recording. And, you know, I'm always skeptical when when people say, well, this or that. And no disrespect to Karen or Bob. But, you know, I, I'm like, OK, well, I'll check it out. And, uh, oh my God, <laughs> I mean, it like blew my socks off. It, it's almost as though they copied it like note for note. It is beyond very similar. I, I think it's the same song and they just kind of like put more trumpets or, or so whatever. So you're talking rip off now. Man. Well, and you, you never know. And the, and, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything because I, I think sometimes people hear things and they subconsciously store them and it's entirely possible that's what happened here but i don't know i don't know check it out listeners draw your own conclusions yes let us know what you think well that was cool um what about you larry what's your pick he's picking super friends (laughs) you know we don't need no stinking super friends i i loved the super friends so much I can't remember what store. It must have been Kenny because we'd go to Kenny's Shoes all the time. And my mother got me Super Friends high tops. <laughs> I don't know that they were Converse necessarily, but I loved those shoes. I kept the shoe box. You know, that was like my little treasure box and stuff. I loved that show. Well, uh, I mean, John, Johnny Quest was the, the reason that I wore. Johnny Quest was the reason that I wore uh, PF Flyers. They had, uh, they had well, a PF Flyer commercial with Johnny Quest and... You could get a secret decoder ring. Yeah, dyed your hair blonde. I mean, I, I remember oh, I all that, Bob, that. when we were. 
<laughs> it's lighter now, but it's more gray than blonde. Adopted a young Indian boy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll edit that out. We'll edit it out. <laughs> well, my friends. Uh, so that being said, something near and dear to my heart, and uh, for our listeners, Ito, I'm I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me on this. March 2nd, 1973, NBC announced the return of Star Trek. Star Trek was coming back as an animated series. They'd reached out to Roddenberry, uh, Gene Roddenberry, um, as far back, uh, let me see my notes, as October of 1969 to discuss bringing Star Trek. And the original idea was to have these cadets and um, Gene didn't like that idea. And he's like, look, if you're going to have me involved, uh, we're going to do Star Trek with Kirk, Spock, McCoy. That was the original plan. And, um, you know, it was, it was done by this company uh, called Filmation. And uh, Filmation, this is going to be interesting. Bob, you talked about uh, Hanna-Barbera doing the Flintstones in primetime and, and uh, the Jetsons. Filmation cranked out spinoffs such as Gilligan's Planet, The Brady Kids, and also, this surprised me, a MASH spoof called Mush. Oh. <laughs> no, Filmation was huge back then. So. <laughs> they had done, they, they did Tarzan, they did a, a Batman series, and. Oh, they they were like, it, it was like a factory, and they would use techniques. Uh, like recycling shots and rotoscoping. Karen, you're a big fan yeah, a lot of rotoscoping. A lot of rotoscoping. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, someday we'll talk about uh, the Lord of the Rings experience that they put you through, but uh, not today. Well, just, uh, yeah, yeah. just really briefly for the audience that doesn't know, I should describe what rotoscoping was. Please do, Bob. That Yes, we'll, we'll let our engineer get into rotoscoping. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, basically they would film... People running, walking, doing various action things, and basically just trace them and make it a cartoon out of it. So basically, you know, rotoscoping was, I guess, a very, very early version of CG where people are working. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I, you got the motion cap actors now. But back then, right. it was like, you know, same thing. They, they were, you know, they were doing all the movements. And then they were just, uh, you know, rather than a computer, they would just trace over. over them. Yeah. Okay. So thank you very much. Chief. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so not only did they bring back William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly, uh, Gene Roddenberry, they also brought back a lot of the writers um, from the original series. Um, it was to Nimoy's credit, though. Uh, he's like, look, if you're going to do Star Trek, you have to have the entire crew. And he was going to walk away from the series if they didn't agree to bring in George Takei and Nichelle Nichols. Um, they were going to try to bring Walter Koenig back, but for budgetary reasons, is a story that I uh, read, Um <laughs> They, they couldn't bring him back. Although Walter has the <laughs> distinction. He has the distinction. 
He has the distinction of writing an episode for the American. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob. I, I fail to see the humor in this. <laughs> sorry about that. Well, they, uh, but they also got Jimmy Doohan, right? Yeah, they, they had Jimmy Doohan too. Sorry. And he did every voice. He did well, a ton of voices, actually, and he did the voice of uh, the alien that took uh, Walter Koenig's spot on the uh, on the bridge. <laughs> so basically, he. Chekhov got screwed by Jimmy Doohan. Oh, big time. <laughs> big time. So everybody got back except Chekhov. Well, you know, it's it's okay because, like, the first season, there was no Chekhov. So, you know. Right. It's uh, fair. It's fair enough. Fair enough. Now, hey, but, you know, right now, important? right now, Walter Koenig is, like, uh, lasting longer than any of them, so. I was going to say, he'll, hey, he'll outlive them all. His, the ultimate revenge. That's right. <laughs> What I thought was also interesting, though, was they brought back uh, Dorsey Fontana. And Dorsey was instrumental in, in that first uh, couple of seasons of, of the original series, just keeping it going. Um, she not only came back as a writer, but she was the associate producer for the animated series. Gene hmm. Roddenberry had her supervising all the uh, writers and the scripts, and then Filmation handled all the animation and the the colors that they used. You're going to notice, and if you haven't already watched some of these episodes, they have pink tribbles uh, in, in the tribble <laughs> episode. Um, some of the distinctions that the animated series has, though, Star Trek, the animated series, uh, it was the first Star Trek series to win an Emmy. Oh. Yes. The episode How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth got a daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Entertainment in a Children's Series back in 1975 fascinating yeah and like i said they originally wanted to have like adolescent starfleet cadets and and gene was just so against it he didn't want to do like a, a child trek mm -hmm. um, they were always pushing that idea i mean they're still kind of pushing that idea star trek babies oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um one of the one of the better uh, or more interesting um next generation episodes i can't think of the name of the episode off my uh off the top of my head had um i think it's called lower decks and it wasn't cadets but it was like n newly stationed right. um, officers on the enterprise um you know some good stories potentially yeah that's a big difference from you know they were always trying to push the, the cadets like really young teenage cadets so that was that was a really good episode though that you the lower decks. Yeah, definitely. So like I had said, uh, they brought back Takei. They brought back Nichelle Nichols. They had Jimmy Doohan. You know, when he was auditioning for, for Gene for the original series, they were trying to figure out, well, what kind of an accent, uh, what kind of a dialect, what type of a, um, ethnicity would an engineer be on a starship? And so Jimmy... He'd go out to these conventions and he'd do all these different uh, dialects and voices of, of uh, who he was trying to uh, show Gene could be an engineer. And ultimately they went with the Scotsman. But yeah, he would do uh, many, many uh, of the voices on the, on the show. Eric uh, Bob was the name of the helmsman. 
who oh, took okay. over for uh, Chekhov. Chekhov had already been transferred over to the Reliant at that point. Yeah, I thought I thought I remembered a more exotic name than Eric, but I guess not. I think it was Eric. <laughs> oh, ah, you're right. Sorry, you Eric. That's better. That's better. Uh, Majel came back also. I forgot to mention uh, mention Majel, Majel Barrett. Barrett. Mrs. Roddenberry. Uh, Mrs. Roddenberry. Now she came back and she did a couple of different voices too. Well, she did like the computer it, voice in the original Star Trek. As, uh, well, in addition uh, to playing uh, Nurse Chapel, but. I, I don't think it was the original Star Trek, but in the animated series, it was Majel who played the, uh, the, the voice of the Enterprise, the computer. Um, this is also one of three times, there's three episodes in here where uh, some of the female officers assumed command of the Enterprise for, for different reasons. Uhura uh, specifically takes command of the ship in the episode, the Lorelei, Lorelei signal. Lorelai? Lorelai, mm -hmm. yeah. Good episode. And, uh, well, actually, I guess the cage, you had number one taking over for Captain Pike. Yeah, they but, got rid of her quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked earlier about one of my favorite uh, almost picks, the uh, Super Friends. Uh, I love the intro, Ted Knight, with his deep voice, you know, the Justice League, dun, 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 all that good stuff. Ted Knight was actually in an episode of Star Trek, the animated series. Oh, really? So yeah. I assume he played an alien or. Uh, he, it was the episode was the survivor and he appears as Carter Winston, a well mustached oh. man in a <laughs> yellow jacket. Uh, I actually remember him. <laughs> yep. He was actually a shape shifting um, alien. So interesting. Now, originally, this this was uh, Ted Knight. Actually, he did he, he did a lot of voices over the years. Yeah, that's you can true. even hear him as one of the head Mysterians in the movie The Mysterians. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, he has such a wonderful voice. I mean, good night and good news. <laughs> what I found interesting also was originally the animated series. Um, was considered to be official Trek canon. Um, you know, it was part of the, the chronology of the Star Trek universe. Well, it was technically season four, right? Well, I, and that's the thing, Bob. When you watch these episodes, they're, they're only a half hour or 23, 24 minutes. But because they had the writers um, uh, from the original series, they had... Uh, Dorothy on board. They had Gene Roddenberry on board. The, the voice, you know, the actors were actual stars from the show. It's like a fourth and fifth season because they had two seasons of this animated series. Um, oh, I only thought it went one. They went two. It, it was two. Now the second season, I want to say, was like under ten episodes. It didn't go the full like sixteen or however many episodes. Uh, per season. It wasn't 26. Uh, so how many episodes total were there? Bob, there were 16 episodes in the first season and only six for the second season. Hey, technically that gave them their five-year mission and helped them transition into the motion picture. So I'll go with that. That's right. So they probably almost went right into filming the, uh, the movie after the, the cartoon, right? There, there was Almost probably about years three ago. or four years. Mm -hmm. 
So they, that was when they would have been thinking about doing Star Trek Phase 2. Right, because I, I want to say October of 74, November of 74 is when the last animated series episode aired. And mm -hmm. yeah, like, like Karen was saying, Phase 2 was very heavily being developed at that point. Right. Well, I know for a while they were talking about uh, Paramount starting a new TV network. And they were going right. to have Star Trek as kind of the lead in on that. That that was going to be the big uh, selling point for, for them to launch the Paramount yeah. Network. And uh, the reason that the production costs for the motion picture were so high is because they threw all of the production money that they spent developing Phase 2 over to uh, the motion picture budget. So not only did they have to make money to recuperate what they spent on the motion picture, they had to pick up the slack on uh, phase two development. So I know one of the, the issues people have over the animated series is the fact that Roddenberry later on was like, oh no, that's not canon. It's not part of the, the you know, the real Star Trek series right but there, but there were certain episodes which people really did feel should be included and and they were later on referenced in some of the shows like um yesteryear the the one where uh the adult spock goes back through the guardian of forever and meets yep. his younger self i mean that was actually i know it was referenced in some uh, even if a, kind of obliquely referenced in either, I think, some of the films or some of the later series. And well, you're right, because in J.J. In Abrams' 2009 film, the part of young Spock getting bullied and getting into a fight with uh, some of his classmates happened in that episode mm, yesterday. Right, right. Yeah, so, uh, and, and it is considered canon, um, I, uh, there was a part where, um, yeah, Captain April was actually listed uh, as a captain of the Enterprise in the encyclopedia, and, and it is considered canon now. So, um, okay. and they're fun episodes to watch. I mean, they they really are. Kind of sounds like maybe Gene didn't get the residuals he had hoped for. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny because Gene was the master. Uh, salesman or you know he would take um cells from the animated series and sell it on on his uh you know lincoln um oh, what was it called lincoln, lincoln enterprises. enterprises yeah yeah and famously you know why spock had to wear the idic uh infinite diversity and infinite combinations because roddenberry was hawking it on his uh catalog uh, yeah, so, um, people kind of forget that the idea that Gene had these high-minded principles and was like a futurist, that all sort of came after Star Trek became <laughs> immensely popular. You know, right. Before before that, he was just a, a TV producer trying to make a buck. So, And, and, and no harm, no foul. We love sure. the great bird of the galaxy, but right, there, there was a business aspect to it as well. <laughs> he did put together a show that had a lot of great ideals. So I'm just the idea that he was some sort of guru is a little misguided. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair to say. Um, also of note, which I thought was interesting is uh, the animated series introduced the holodeck 
to Star Trek. There was an episode, The Practical Joker, and it wasn't called a holodeck. It was simply titled The Rec Room. And in the episode, Sulu, McCoy, and Uhura enter the large empty room and uh, they end up going to a beach and, and you know, mayhem ensues. <laughs> no, no spoilers. Hmm. I didn't recall that. We're each allowed to spoil one episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Karen, we were talking about yesteryear. Uh, Mark Leonard actually returned to play Spock's father. That was not Jimmy Doohan. Well, that's kind of a relief. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy wasn't available that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, they they brought back like um, characters like Cyrano Jones and uh, Harry Mudd, and uh, yeah, they had that one episode. Was it more Tribbles, more Troubles? Yes. Uh, that was a that was a good episode too. Like I said, that's the first time we get to see uh, pink tribbles. And they had like this alien creature that ate tribbles, right? That's how he was like. Right. That's how he cleared yep. the space station and how he was keeping the population yes. down. The glomer. The glomer. Exactly. <laughs> that's all. I, that's all I actually remember from the episode. The glomer. Yep. So that was my pick. Um, and, and I, you know, a, a lot of times we'll try to freshen our memories by watching. Uh, creature from the black lagoon or uh you know whatever i've been watching these uh all along these episodes i, I got the dvd set I, I watch it on netflix i drive my wife crazy with all the star trek uh that i watch but god bless her she uh she knows all the captains and she knows what series they belong to so <laughs> now I'm, I'm thinking back on the series right now wasn't there an episode where they had Satan on there or Lucifer. Oh, they had the devil yeah. in like one episode, right? Sort of. Yeah. Um, yes. And it wasn't Satan per se. He, uh, although uh, it, it involved time travel and they go back to, um, oh God, uh, where did they burn the witches? Salem. Uh, Salem. Salem. Salem, Massachusetts. They, they, they go back to Salem and the crews uh, locked up in stockades Oh, and the guy's name eludes me, but I think it was Lucian. Lucian, yes, and he kind of reminded me of Apollo. Um, he wasn't a god, but he kept on referring to them as his friends, and they had to go through some kind of a vortex. Uh, it, it was a really trippy uh, episode. Uh, very colorful, though. I was going to say it sounded like a bad acid trip. <laughs> very much so. Yeah, but anyway, it, it was a great episode, and it was very daring at the time. And I'm thinking, as I'm watching it now, was it because, you know, there were uh, movies like Rosemary's Baby out at the time, and they were kind of like getting the, I don't know, I, I really mm -hmm. can't understand. The guy does look demonic, and he has like the feet, a uh, hooves feet, like you know, a pan or some kind of a mystical creature. Well, I mean, that was that was shortly after The Exorcist, right? Or right about the time of The Exorcist. Yeah. And I want to say, yeah, because it's like 75. So. Devil, devils were huge back then. Yeah. Trying to capitalize on it. They hadn't quite gone into the satanic panic stage. Yeah, yeah. There was an episode, too, where they had uh, Quetzalcoatl um, appear in, in, like, his animal form, and that was kind of trippy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it is a very fun uh, series to watch and, and near and dear to my heart. And, 
you know, if not to everyone else, to me, it is like a season four and a part of a season five for the original series. So you get a chance, check it out. Um, any last minute uh, words on your series or honorable mentions you guys want to throw out there before we get into our censor suite? Well, I, I know before we started talking, I one of the shows I mentioned that I had a fondness for, which I hadn't thought of before we started the show, really, uh, was that Batman Tarzan Adventure Hour. Yes. By, by our friends Filmation. Uh, <laughs> it was it was pretty good. I you know, I, I liked the Batmobile in that and Tarzan had some great adventures. So um, I think that's actually available. I think it's one of those on-demand um, DVD things. Oh, I have yeah, to so check I it remember, out on I one of I remember Tarzan because I, I used to watch that all the time. I, I mm. don't mind getting that. Again, yeah, so. as he swung through the trees, it was all rotoscoped. But You know, it, it's funny, the thing with Filmation, too, and uh, not just the animated series, but if you check out their other series, they would blink the eyes of the characters and, and move the mouth when they were talking, but they would never turn the neck left or right. <laughs> so it's almost like they have a kink in their neck and they're talking to the, that, that does kind of throw me off a little, but. Well, um, that was, hey. that was basically Hanna-Barbera came up with all that because they, they were, uh, Hanna-Barbera were actually animators for MGM and did ah. many, many, many Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yeah, but then uh, they saw the writing on the wall that TV was coming in and taking over, and it was like, okay, so how do we do an animated? How do we do cartoons for TV, but not on a movie budget? And so they came up with the idea of static bodies, static heads, and this you know redrawing the mouth or the eyes blink once in a while or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, limited kind of limited movement. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of what ushered in, like I say, like the Yogi Bears and the Huckleberry Hounds and the McGilla Gorillas right. and all those. Well, you know, and, and kids, we'd be remiss if we didn't have an honorable mention for our official mascot, un unofficial, unofficial mascot, Popeye the Sailor. So, toot toot. <laughs> hey, I could go on f for a whole episode on Popeye if I had to. <laughs> Bob's solo episode will be coming up at a later date. <laughs> we, yeah, I uh, thought we I was going to do a solo Johnny Quest episode for a while. <laughs> we were talking about you know uh, what our picks are going to be and stuff, and in, uh, in, in our uh, I won't call it a meeting, just you know talking to each other. And, and Bob was like, "Oh my god, I could do like episode after episode after episode on on different animations." So. If you guys like this episode, let us know. Karen's got Batman, Tarzan, Bob's got the Flintstones and Yogi Bear. Who knows what I'll come Flintstones up with. Flintstones and Yogi Bear. No, no. I was, next up would be Speed Racer. No, I got Speed Racer, buddy. I'm sorry. No, you sorry. With Yogi. No. <laughs> I, I, I jest. I jest. Well, you know, another thing we could do, which I had mentioned to Larry, uh, we could also do our favorite kids live action show and if we do that i'm staking a claim to arc two all right uh, well, <laughs> you, you all heard that here first <laughs> all yours because i vaguely remembered it <laughs> hey it has a talking chimpanzee in it so i'm all over that hey you know you can't go wrong uh i'd probably have to do hr puffin stuff oh that's scary 
Yeah. Yeah. I was more yeah, of a fun. Sigmund the Sea Monster type of guy. That's a close second for me, actual Bob. Uh, actually, I, I used to love Sigmund and the theme song too. Those are uh, both how, how about, Crouch, how about right? Danger they Island? Uh oh, Congo or Chongo. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dick Donner actually directed those episodes. Yeah, that's so weird. Right? He would go on to film Superman and uh, Lethal Weapon and, and all those other good uh, Hollywood yeah. films. Jan Michael Vincent was in that. That's right. <laughs> God. Okay, guys. So let us know what you think. We're more than willing. There's enough material for us to go out there and uh, and do this. It's that part in the show where we do our sensor sweep, where the latest and greatest items that come across our uh, internet or desk at home. And I have it this episode. I'm actually uh, looking at Star Trek, the official guide to the animated series, which kind of ties into what I was talking about today, which I used uh in, in coming up with some of the factoids that I shared with you guys. Now, this fine tome is uh, written by Aaron Harvey and Rich Shepis. Uh, pardon me if I butcher the pronunciation of gentlemen's names. And they are fans of the series. You can tell in their research and their writings that they're fans. And uh, there's great, great um, photos of scripts, um, uh, designing of uh, aliens. Um, one of the things that they really enjoyed, at least uh, Dorsey, in coming into writing the scripts is they didn't have limitations on, you know, let's have an army of Gorn or let, let's have, you know, a, a, a snake uh, uh, alien or let's have, you know, they could do, they didn't have to worry about zippers. They didn't have to worry about actors overheating. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, good information in this book and a lot of, like I said, great uh, pictures they actually show some of the young. Uh, there was a test of uh, the young uh, crew uh, of uh, the animated series before they decided to go with uh, with Kirk and Spock and, and all that. Um, you know, the, the, the writing of uh, Spock's pet Salat. Um, they have sketches of that um, from the yesteryear episode and uh, it's just great. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can find it at your local bookstore or off of the interwebs. Um, check it out and let me know what you think. People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. Listeners of Planet 8, this is Chief Engineer Bob asking you to join us at the Seven Stars Bar in San Jose, California on October 20th from 1 p.m. to 4 for our very first Listener's Appreciation Party. We'll be recording a live podcast on site, so maybe you can be with us on Planet 8. We'll also have a DJ, Cuts On Demand, playing cool space-age songs, prizes, buttons, plenty of food, drinks. It's a cosmic event. So join us October 20th, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the Seven Stars Bar in San Jose. More information on our Facebook page or at planet8podcast.blogspot.com. See you there. 
Every weekend, meet strange and mysterious creatures. The fire-breathing Kukla Khan, the ferocious clan of Kazintis, eerie Aquans, terrible Tribbles, menacing Klingons, terrifying Pterodactyls, and that's only the beginning. Mr. Spark, did you see what I think I just saw? Journey into unknown space with Captain Kirk and the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Beam up to Star Trek every weekend. This Power Blast ketchup day is awesome. I wonder where they got it. There's an energy flux on planet Bendan. I'm getting a reading. It appears to be a... Rare type of spicy and tasty ketchup. Right. Power Blast Ketchup is now at Burger King. Now in every big kid's meal, you can get one of your favorite Justice League toys and watch Superman roll, Batman rise, and Wonder Woman lasso. There's eight toys in all, so you can start upholding truth and justice at Burger King today. Now, a new PF Flyer adventure starring Johnny Quest. Something was wrong on the volcano. Race was flashing a message. In danger, bring rope. Johnny flashed back his answer with his PF magic ring. Coming. He ran like the wind. Lucky he was wearing his PF flyers, the action shoes. Only PFs have the action wedge built right in. So you run your fastest and jump your highest. There was race. In seconds, the red-hot lava would reach him. But the action shoes got Johnny there first. Race was saved, thanks to Johnny Quest and his action shoes, PF Flyers. Say, boys and girls, want a PF magic ring like mine? It has a magnifying glass, a secret compartment, a message flasher, and a secret code circle. You get one free at the store with PF Flyers. So get the shoes with the PF patch and get your PF magic ring free. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.